Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I am joined today by Mr. Jose R. Costa. Now, Mr. Costa has a strong track record of global performance and growth in multi-unit retail operations across multiple industries, and I mean like a lot of industries. He currently serves as the CEO of Magnolia Car Wash Holdings, an express car wash operation with over 100 locations across the U.S., and he's also the author of a book entitled Leading with Edge, which features uh, the concepts of leadership as a practice that invites uh, just working knowledge of how to uh, be a leader with determination and grit and what it takes to be a strong leader. And uh, the book is awesome. He actually, I'm so nice. He was so nice. He signed it for me when they sent it over. So I appreciate that. So Mr. Costa, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Thank you, Corey. Great to meet you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so I want to begin by just saying, first of all, you tell the story in the beginning that I relate it to. You talk about this poster with the goldfish all going in one direction. And there was one blue fish going the other direction. And when I was reading that, I was like, that seems so familiar to me. And I couldn't figure out why it seemed familiar to me. And then I kept reading. And then I said, oh, because I used to work at Young and Rubicam in the 90s. Oh, wow. <laughs> what yeah. is my world? Yeah. And I was like, I know, I know that thing. Because that was like a big deal, <laughs> right? Just to be like, you know, to not to be one with the crowd and to stand out. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was really interesting that you told that story. I love that you broke your book down in what I say are very actionable steps. And you even talk about how there's like, very often there's all these self-help books out there, uh, but they don't really give you steps, things to do. So you do that very differently in your book. And you break it down in four sections. One is knowledge, expectations, and then hard work, and then trust. So beginning with the knowledge section, you talk about humility, the importance of humility. So share a little bit about why that's important for leaders to have humility. Yeah. So it took me multiple years to, to write that book. And, and they say that a book, it's obsolete the moment you publish it, right? Because you continue to learn and, and develop. But I, I feel uh, one of the common denominators of, of great leadership is humility. Uh, is, is that ability to, to be a good listener? Is that ability to put your, your ego on check and not be arrogant? Not using your title? or your position to communicate power or importance. But on the contrary, when I walk around and I meet people, I just say that I work in operations. I never use the title CEO because it truly doesn't mean anything to me. And there is another component of, of humility, which is around knowledge and accepting that you don't have all the answers, right? And relying in a diverse team, relying in curiosity, uh, reading, uh, exploring new new companies, new industries, new ideas, and then collecting those ideas to bring them into your organization and, and implement innovation. Yeah. Yeah. You do make a really great point of that in the book a few times about, you know, not being the person with all the answers, but the, but the importance of knowing that you don't know all the answers and having the, I guess, um, the, the ego checked. You talk about the ego because very often it's the ego that stops you from owning up to being wrong or, or asking others for opinions. So do you find that ego is really sort of like the main thing that people are grappling with when they don't have humility? Uh, it's a combination of ego. It's also insecurity, right? And, and immaturity. Earlier in your career, you're trying to prove yourself. You're trying 
to come across maybe more knowledgeable than you really are. And I love the, the Bill Belichick, Nick Saban quote of, don't look at the scoreboard, just put your head down, do your job, put scores on the board, put points on the board, and, and you will get promoted. Right. Many people are always obsessed with the, the new job, the new title, what's next. But I always believe that someone is watching and that if you put your head down and do a great job, everything takes care of itself. You'll get promoted. Yeah. It's so funny you bring that up because I shared recently in a conversation here on Motivational Mondays about how I had a boss who I, I wanted to get promoted and I kept going to her every day complaining about what someone else wasn't doing. I was like, well, you know, she's this and she's not doing that and she should be doing that. And I'm so tired of picking up all the work and she's, I would go in her office every day and complain. And finally, my boss said to me, because she was a little annoyed, she said, listen, you're not going to get promoted based on what someone else is not doing. You're going to get promoted and recognized for what you do. And at that moment, something shifted in me. I went back to my desk and I decided just to do what you said. I'm going to put my head down and just do the work. And it made all the difference. I was promoted within a few months. Uh, and so, you know, I, I live that. I really don't, I definitely agree with you on that. And also when it comes to success though, are you saying too that a person should not stay in a position without getting promoted, but you're saying almost like they should kind of just learn as much as they can while they're doing it so they are better prepared for whatever that next step is? That's right. Also, uh, I, I remember uh, I used to work for Yum Brands, the parent company of KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut. Mm. And when I first got hired, they hired me uh, as a brand manager, focused in the KFC brand, and that was my day job. That was literally my paycheck was connected to the objectives of that job description. So one day I walked into the chief marketing officer's office and I said, I love my job, I love what I'm doing, but can I work on this extra project? And he first said no. Then a few months later I came back and, and he said, I, I see the persistence here, so I'm gonna let you work on that, but your, your current job cannot, cannot go down. I need you to deliver your objectives. So in three years, I got promoted three times, not thinking that I, wanna, I want the next job, just thinking I'm going to do my current job to the best of my ability. And if I have a passion project on the side and I get permission to work on it, that may lead to something down the road. Mm. It also helped me meet new people cross-functionally. It helped me expand my horizons uh, with the other brands. So that project eventually led to me working uh, with Taco Bell and Pizza Hut, which wasn't part of my job originally. Right, right. So yeah, it's like, you know, you just said, putting in the work and you also gain then from that just a personal development. So it's not necessarily tied to an end game, but you've, you've gained more knowledge because of it. So you're better because of it. And I think that's tied to something else you talk about too, which are the character traits that are, you know, the most instrumental in leaders. And I think one of those would be the ability to have the growth mindset, which is what I always say is important. So talk about like sort of the characteristics of leadership that really tie into why the growth mindset are important. So I think it starts with uh, being curious and having a routine where we're uh, creatures of, of habit, right? So in my daily routine, for example, 
I wake up at 4.30 a.m., I go to the gym for one hour, I, I take my kids to school, and I get to the office and I carve out an hour to read. I read different publications, I read two books a week, I try to learn as much as I can, and then I use that knowledge to help me connect the dots. To your point of a growth mindset, in order to have a growth mindset in multi-unit retail, there's only three ways to grow a company in multi-unit retail. You grow the top line, which is a function of price and visitation or, or ticket, right? So you charge more or you come more frequent. Those are mainly the two levers of top line sales. Right. You control the bottom line by controlling costs. So that's another way of growing the bottom line. And the third way to grow is by adding more units. So I, I use my daily practice of reading how other industries are doing it. And then I take those insights and I apply them into those three pillars. How do I grow the top line? How do I grow the bottom line? And how do I grow more units? Mm, yeah. And that's also a great observation too. And looking at, because you talk about knowledge a lot in your book and actually utilizing and researching the knowledge that you have access to. And that can help you sort of shape the decisions you're going to make by having more of like a knowledgeable, informed decision. Now, that leads me to my next question too about uh, common mistakes that C-suite leaders make. And I, uh, I'm sure you probably have a litany of, <laughs> of those, but, but what are a few of the ones when it comes to, and I think knowledge for some reason ties into, you know, one of those mistakes they make. But in general, what are some of those uh, mistakes you see C-suite leaders making? Oh, Corey, there's so many. Um, <laughs> I'll start with people mistakes, right? Number one, hiring too quickly and hiring potentially the wrong person for the job. Hiring people that have worked with you in the past. I think there's a healthy balance between bringing people you trust into the organization and overdoing that because then you alienate the other people within the organization. So if you and I work together at Burger King, and we turn around and hire a bunch of Burger King people, how does that make the, the Whistle Express team feel that we have like an, our own Burger King club within our organization? So that healthy balance between new ideas, new talent from, from outside of your network, I, I think it's one, one mistake that many leaders make. I've done it in the past. I go to a new company and I bring an alumni club and it's not necessarily good. It's healthy with a balance. I think another mistake is you kind of gravitate to your growth, where, where you came from. So I grew up through marketing and operations, and I, I tend to gravitate my decision-making. I, I lead with operations and marketing, which could be good or bad, depending on what business challenge you're trying to solve. So having, having a lot of different perspectives is very important. Hiring people with different backgrounds. I love hiring immigrants, to be honest with you. I call it the fire in the belly. They just come, and I'm one of them, right? They come with this, this reason to prove that they can make it in the best country in the world. And they're going to work harder. They're just, they have that fire in the belly. They need to show their family and their friends back home that 
they were able to to make it in America. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I love that you that you brought that up because you do talk about that in the book. I love when you you know you begin by talking about being a little boy and seeing your father have that development from like the small office to finally becoming like a, a larger marketing exec, if you will, and then. Um, you know, you having to then go to the U.S. and and have this experience as an immigrant, having to start. You know, to, I think you were going to graduate school. I believe it was. That's right. And yeah. that, that's where you start. And but you had that same that fire that you're talking about because yeah, when you leave your country and have to make it in another country with a completely different construct of living and everything. Um, yeah, I do agree. I think, and, and let's face it. I mean, America obviously is the country built on immigrants, right? The hard work, blood, sweat, and tears of immigrants. So a little strange that some people don't seem to appreciate that today <laughs> in this country. But I love that you are bringing it back to that and making a point of, of hiring them. And so you're seeing success with that. Yes. Also, going back to your question of mistakes we make, you kind of, the, the, the more you climb the hierarchical ladder and you, you're gaining titles and responsibility and salary, Sometimes you lose texture and contact with the front line. I make a, a very strong effort to get out and be in the stores as much as I can. And having that connective tissue to the front line is very important. Also, surrounding yourself with, I call it player coaches. A lot of people are chasing titles and they want to be chiefs. But then uh, you need a, a lot of hard workers that are actually going to do the job. So uh, finding that balance between experience, talent, and firing the belly. Mm. You know, again, I, I got to just, just say, the, your book is, is, you know, it's not a very uh, long book. It's, it's a short read, but you have so much in this book. Like, and that is, and so many things that I relate to. Uh, and what you just said was one of them. You know, another story for me is I recall, like, just, you know, being, just driven and focused. And I had another colleague who was like, I have to report to the CEO at every job that I have, I must report to the CEO. And I said, well, I really don't care about that. I care about doing the great work for the job that I'm hired for, and that we're going to pay me the salary that I agree to and everything else will fall into place. So I love that you talk about the chasing the title thing. Cause I think if you're so busy chasing the title, you're missing out on the journey along the way of that you're supposed to be learning. Isn't that part of sort of the, the, the trade-off, right? A hundred percent. And I think generationally, uh, millennials and the younger generations coming behind Gen X are very much impatient. They want that, that sense of, uh, they want things immediately, right? Uh, and sometimes you need time in the kitchen and, and, and you need experience in order to get promoted. I think there's also a concept in the book that is very important, uh, and this is an anecdote, a personal story. When I was at Young Brands, I, I got a call from the chief people officer globally at Burger King, and I wasn't looking for a job. I flew down to Miami from Louisville, Kentucky. I interviewed, great chemistry, great conversation, and then he calls me and he's like, Jose, great meeting you, but you're not a fit, but we're not going to make you an offer. And Corey, I didn't hear from him for seven years, but I had saved his phone number in my phone. And for seven years, I, I, I didn't talk to him. And he called me 
seven years later and he, he said, do you remember me? And I said, I do. I said, your phone number, uh, what, what's going on? He said, well, 3G Capital just bought Burger King and they're taking the company private. And I need someone to run Latin America and the Caribbean and to work closely with me in, in, in the transformation of the region. Would you be interested? And I think that's an example of not burning bridges, uh, keeping relationships over time and just being open to network. Networking is so important. Yeah. Yeah, we do stress that um, here at the NSLS too, because we have a large college age audience. And sometimes the networking component is really overlooked when you're in high school. Sometimes colleges don't stress the importance of that. And those relationships, like you said, they can come back. And isn't that funny? That's like a, that position when he called you with that. I mean, it's perfect for you. I mean, it combined everything, I'm, you know, your culture, your experience. I mean, it was almost like someone had customized a job <laughs> for you when you got that phone call. That's pretty fascinating. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And also, you know, we talk about, well, I just talked about your, your culture and your ethnicity. And I think when you talk about how leaders create a work culture that is inclusive where everyone's heard. I think that ties into the current conversation about diversity. So many times we talk about immigrants. So many times there are people who feel they were left out of the boardroom or left out of those conversations. So share a little bit about maybe how in general leaders can help to create that work where people feel represented and everyone feels like they're a part of what's happening in the workplace. Yes, uh, there's three concepts that come to mind. Uh, one is communication and creating the right venues and the right channels for an open, ongoing, two-way communication. So we, we host a variety of events uh, to share knowledge. So when we close the financial books and we present to the board and to the banks, we turn around and use that same material and present it to the entire field. Every site manager gets the opportunity to listen to the same presentation that we present to the banks and to the board, and then they get to ask questions. So from that comes uh, smaller groups that get involved in projects, and that way they feel they have input into the growth of the company. Uh, the other one is, so communication would be number one, number two would be uh, transparency in, in numbers and results and objectives. Uh, we use a very simple scorecard by position that ranks your, your priorities and, and what you should be focusing on. And we update those monthly. So it's a very good way of, of giving feedback to everyone on, on where they are, how they rank, where they stand. And they can use that data again to, okay, I need to work on this objective or, or the other objective in order to get my bonus. And the last one is uh, that we, we practice a lot is candid feedback. If we come off a meeting and I see, Corey, that maybe you, you could have been more effective by tweaking certain things here and there, I always start with the positive and I praise you for doing a great job with the presentation. Then I give you the feedback and I say, Corey, next time, if, if you use pause as you're presenting and let the audience think about what you're saying, uh, I think you could be more effective versus rushing through the content, right? And then I, I close the, the feedback session by, by reinforcing that positive message again. So kind of uh, communication, 
transparency, and then that continuous feedback are, are three mechanisms that we use. Yeah, it's so funny because feedback was my very next question to talk about how you address that in the book. And I was just going to have that same conversation with you, whereas you talk about leading with the positive because a person will be immediately shut down if you just call them in the office and just go in at them about what they did wrong. So I think you make them less defensive by saying, hey, here's what you did great. Here's where we have opportunities. And you use a great example in the book. You talk about the um, the person who uh, did the presentation and she had her legs crossed and that looked like a lack of confidence or maybe she was like nervous. And you said, you know, you did a great job. Everything was excellent. And then you say, and here's something to make it even better next time. If you, I think you said, if you plant your feet solid in front of you and they're kind of parallel to your shoulders, you look more confident. And they took that advice, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. And that ties back into, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Your book is so amazing because it's so many great examples and actionable steps that goes back into the willingness to take criticism and hear it. And you say something that I, one of my things I love to, I have to just, I have so many highlights here. You have a quote here that, oh, it's my favorite. It says, um, those who can't admit when they're wrong, who can't put the right answer ahead of their need to be right, they're more likely to dig their heels in and make a bad situation worse. I mean, it's just perfect, that example. And so, yeah, that's how, and that's how you lead basically now as a CEO. That is something that you adhere to. A hundred percent. You need to, uh, uh, you, you don't have all the answers and it goes back to humility to your first question. When we got started today, seeking diverse views, seeking different perspectives, uh, being honest and transparent. There's another phrase that I like, uh, which is it, it's better to be respected than to be liked. Mm -hmm. And sometimes yeah. when you provide feedback, people, if you're defensive and you put a wall up, you're not going to internalize that feedback and, and you need to be conscious and have enough awareness to lower that wall and listen to the feedback if you really want to get better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think all that ties into another area of your book too, which talks about the emotional intelligence component. And what's interesting about all the lessons you're sharing, they work in real life. Like they, you know, it's not just, I mean, you're talking to businesses with this book in a way, but you're also talking to everyday people. Like, you know, for example, leading with the positive, that's something you can do with your children or your spouse or anyone you might need to have a conversation with about something. And so emotional, emotional intelligence is another one of those things. And you give the example of the, which is astounding that somebody would get fired at a cubicle in front of um, <laughs> their colleagues. But you give this example of that, uh, a grown man who is almost nearing retirement gets terminated uh, right there on the spot for at that day in front of everyone by his whoever he reported to. So emotional intelligence would tell most people that that's not a good idea. Right. Right. And it's hard to teach. It's, it's like uh, common sense, right? Uh, emotional intelligence, you can identify it and point it out. But if you don't have it, it takes a lot of training and awareness to bring it out. In that example from the book, it, it was a young person firing a much older executive and the younger person, unfortunately, didn't have the, the experience or the emotional intelligence to do it differently. The way you or I would have handled that, you can frame it as an early retirement. You can do it on a weekend. You can do it after hours. You can do it with grace and empathy. 
Mm -hmm. uh, because it's a very difficult conversation for anyone. Young or old, uh, being fired is, is not, not a good experience. No, no. But you do also in the book, uh, in that same, well, not in that same chapter, but later on, you also discuss for people who are hiring managers who may have to eventually let someone go. It's necessary sometimes, and we all know that is necessary, but definitely it is to be done with grace, as you call it, when possible. And so I think that's an example of, uh, you know, clearly somebody did not do it with grace. But I have to say, I wonder, Jose, you know, are there just people who are just bad people? Like, you know, like, you know, if, if like if emotional intelligence can't be taught, some people are just completely devoid of any actual humanity. And so I don't know if everyone's salvageable in that regard. I, I mean, I think so. I, I always use the phrase trust in positive intentions. So I, I begin from a place of positivity, right? So I think Corey is a good person. I think he can learn. I'm going to invest in coaching and developing him so he can learn how to have a higher level of emotional intelligence. And, and sometimes uh, using videos or examples from other leaders or situations is a good way of, of doing that and creating the psychological safety within the organization to allow anyone to make mistakes and to learn from those mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really great time to taking responsibility for for the success of others, which you also mentioned, which is, I guess, if you're going to invest that time and invest in believing in people, you know, you're responsible for the success of, of someone else. And that's something to actually aspire to be, not just about you, but about how you're helping someone else yes. also advance, correct? That's the greatest satisfaction in, in, in my life is seeing my team uh, get promoted, get more opportunities, move on to other companies. Uh, I hate losing my key team members, but if they have a great opportunity and they can go be CEO somewhere else and, and, and continue to grow, that's what you want. Right. Yeah. It's like a parent, like a proud parent at that point. That is right. You know, they got there because of your help. So, um, and that goes back to the not burning bridges because they may end up giving you a job one day a hundred percent yeah absolutely or they may need a board member down the road and you could be that board member right yes yes well i know as a ceo for you hiring uh exceptional talent obviously is very crucial so what is your approach to that like you know when you're looking for people do you have a, a checklist or do you ever get like an immediate like um no <laughs> so how do you go through that it, it's right now for example we're we're recruiting for a cfo and it's a critical position within the management team. And it, it will, on average, be, for a position like that, it will be a three, four, five-month process until we find the right individual. So we, we create a definition and a target list. So we, we first look for companies that have a, a good track record of performance. And for us, it's multi-unit retail. So we would look, for example, at, at McDonald's or Starbucks or Lululemon or Nike or Walmart. That's your universe. Then, then we would look uh, for the CFO position. You look for someone that grew up through financial planning and analysis, not someone necessarily that grew up through accounting. Because mm. you can always go find a great controller or chief accounting officer. But if you grew up through the analytics side, then you become a strategic partner, a thought partner for, for the CEO and for the organization. 
So that, that helps you narrow the universe. So we start with the companies, then we start with the department. We want fi uh, finance, planning, and analysis. We don't want accounting. And then you start with your network. Like, do I know anyone in that organization or do I hire a recruiting firm to go target that organization? So we probably have interviewed 25 individuals. Uh, we boiled down uh, from 25 down to five, and then we bring them into the office. And we have them interview the entire board, the entire management team. We have them do an assessment with an executive coach. It's a long, long process, and then we pick two. And out of those two, they go through a final round, uh, and then we pick one. It's like Survivor. Who was a, it's like who's left on the island when you're done. My well, goodness. Uh, it's that old cliche of uh, hire slow and fire fast. You need to make the right decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's important. And even the organization I work for, it's very funny. We talk about, like, we, we always make jokes about how the interview process for some of us was like really extensive, but we also have a really strong uh, culture and we all understand each other and do well together and work together. And that's the point of taking that time to make sure you hire the right people. I mean, you're never going to get it always right, but. And, and that's where, uh, and, and everyone finds this very unique to us. We have, uh, as part of our team, we have a, a, an executive coach that coaches the management team on an ongoing basis. So he understands the team dynamics. He understands the, the strengths and the opportunities that each one of us has. So when we're looking to bring someone into the team, he's the last assessment, the last gate, the last check mark that, that helps us decide if Mary or Anne are, are the right person for the job. Jose Arcosta, CEO of Magnolia Wash Holdings, the express uh, car wash operation I mentioned. And of course, the author of Leading with Edge, Activate Your Competitive Advantage Through Personal Insight. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks for being here on Motivational Mondays. Thank you so much. Great meeting you. Take care. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.